A great way for a delighted John Fellon to start the new season. Second on the grid, first in the race. That'll do nicely. Another 18 left. And will Rydell bog down in the Volvo again? We'll soon know. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Reverse Grid. And in this one, this was an episode that I really I, I had on my list when I when I knew I was going to launch this show. I'm going to try to attack the immortal question that all BTCC fans have debated amongst themselves or with others, probably for eons. Um, I'm not going to do it alone, though, because that would be a bit boring, really. So I've welcomed along a very special guest to help me, a guy who really does know his stuff when it comes to BTCC and motorsport as a whole. Um, he is a professional historian, motorsport commentator. You may already know him as well as the presenter on his YouTube channel, The Motorsport Detective. Alex Burnham, welcome to the show, mate. Thank you very much. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, very good. Great to be here. Nice to be talking about the uh, British touring cars, which is sort of my uh, my big love in motorsport. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Well, I would say, isn't it everyone's? But it was, <laughs> I mean, when I grew up, F1 was was my dad's big thing. You know, I suppose when you talk to motorsport fans, that's the one thing that everyone assumes everyone else is into. But I, I there's something about BTCC which is is completely different for me. And I dare say it's the same for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I went along to my first meeting in 1993 um, wow. as a youngster and uh, was hooked ever since then. I've seen it on TV and stuff before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, getting to trackside in, in 93 was what did it for me. And so That's since cool. then, it's, you know, it's been touring cars all the way. What? Which, which meeting was that, sorry? It was the opening that? of the 93 season at Silverstone. Cool. Um, and so it was, I think it was two days after my birthday or something like that. So my dad took me along as a, as a birthday treat and I was just hooked you know it's just the cars looked amazing and it was yeah. just brilliant racing and it was just yeah yeah from then on who, who's just read off some of the guys that you would have seen back then then uh well it was won by the uh BMWs of uh Steve Soper and uh, Joe Winklehock uh okay. who then Joe Winklehock went on to win the championship that year okay. um and since then I've been a big Winklehock and a big Soper and a big BMW sort of fan so um, okay. always supported BMW since then Cool. Uh, but there was all, you know, all, a lot of names people are familiar with now. Um, Matt Neal was in it back then. Alan Menu, uh, sort of some of the big names uh, from earlier. So yeah. a bit later in that season, you had Andy Rouse, you had Wim Percy. You know, people that, you know, it was sort of a crossover into the new style, going into super touring rules. Yeah. So it was a really good, really good moment in good sort of touring cars. Yeah. Cool. And as people who, if if anyone's stuck with me through the the previous episodes of um, Reverse Grid, will know, 
recently I've been on a little bit of a um, a history dive myself. I managed to get get a hold of some old TV footage from uh, 1983 to 1990. So it's a period that I didn't know anything about really before. And I'll tell you what, I have absolutely loved it. And this is what has spurred this series. And hopefully some of that, I may be able to bring some of that out in today's oh, yeah, when definitely. we get to it. Um, but one thing I've got to, I've left this as a bit of a surprise for you. Oh, very good. You've also got this, <laughs> yeah. right? Look at this thing. It's absolutely huge. 60 yeah. seasons. So obviously amongst all the accolades I, I um, reeled off at the beginning, you're the author of that fantastic tome. I'm not even going to call it a book. This is almost going to be my Bible, I think. Well, forward. yeah, I mean, that was great. I did that when the 60, 60th anniversary came around. Um, but I've since sort of thought I could probably do with an update and a uh so it's quite a big thing so what i might do is split it down into into different periods and you know add some pictures and some results and you know expand it yeah. more but make it into like 10 volumes or something i don't know it's, but, um I, yeah. I, when i saw you had it and i found it online because uh, i i don't i mean correct me if i'm wrong is it still is it on general sale or is it is it one that was a- no i took it uh took it it was uh it was on amazon and that sort of thing i mm-hmm. took it away from publishing uh because i thought i'd update it and i haven't got around to actually doing the updating yet so yeah. there are probably still a few copies floating around somewhere and that's how i came across this because <laughs> i did find one online i was like i've got to have that didn't yeah. realize quite how big it was and i was like this is value for money it's fantastic so this is why when i knew you were coming on I was quite excited, especially with the topic we're going to have today, because, you know, you're a guy that knows, knows your stuff. Um, and you've touched on there where you discovered or, or where BTCC started for you. So let's, let's wind it back then, you know, motorsport as general. Where did it begin for you and what path has it taken you on? Just kind of give us a brief history of yourself. Uh, well, I grew up not so far from Silverstone Circuit. Um, so it was quite easy to pop along on a weekend. Uh, you know, my dad would take me up and we'd go and watch all sorts of different motorsport. Mm. And I was really into like the historic stuff. Um, I, being a historian, I like history. Yeah. It's always sort of been an interest. So history and cars together. So when I went to like historic meetings at Silverstone, that was brilliant. Um, and so from quite a young age, I was into motorsport and, you know, I had the scale electric sets and all yeah. the rest of it as well, you know, and then um, sort of got into it properly in my teens, you know, touring cars especially was you know sort of a bit of a touring car nerd but nobody really wants to talk about touring cars so no. i was on my own for most of that uh pre-internet days you couldn't even go online and chat to people particularly no, I suppose not. um and then i sort of went into work for mo- in motorsport for uh, a bit over a decade i sort of worked in motorsport teams and some stuff okay. uh so that was all quite good um so i've always been in sort of in and around motorsport uh to some degree uh, and then using my historian sort of knowledge, I decided to do like the history of the touring cars book and a few mm-hmm. bits like that. Um, and then recently, like you briefly mentioned in your uh, opening, I've got into doing some commentary at motorsport events. So it's just something I love being around and yeah. looking into. And, you know, it's just uh, I find it endlessly fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine, I mean, if you attack motorsport as a whole, I mean, BTCC is just one thing that you can really fall fall down the rabbit hole. It's so vast. There's so much of it. You can go in all kinds of directions if you're not kind of tunnel visioned on one particular. So your your commentary, you do the commentary at the live events rather than sort of on TV, radio kind of thing. Yeah, so I've been doing stuff at um, Lotton Park, which is a hill climb circuit. Okay. 
but they've teamed up with well the whole hill climb sort of world has teamed up with a youtube channel called hill climb tv who have been live streaming a lot of events so i've done some of the commentaries uh, on the live stream events and that's been amazing you know what it can do with technology now that could only be done by like the bbc 20 years ago and now now a guy who has set himself up bought some cameras and he does an amazing job and it's a really professional looking sort of um uh, footage and all the rest of it um so certainly if you're into hill climbing find hill climb tv that's brilliant yeah um and yeah it's been excellent fun being at the events talking you know we just had just the other weekend the end of the british uh championship so we had the you know the deciding runs of the, the championship which was uh yeah a little bit of history i suppose to be commentating on it's like yeah it's a nice little link so yeah that's I enjoy very it. cool yeah how long, how long have you been doing that now I just started doing the live uh, sort of the motorsport events this year. I've done some uh, car shows and things before, uh, but it was never the competition. It was sort of like demonstrations and that sort of thing. Uh, But yeah, just started getting into that. So yeah, might look about doing a bit more commentary if I can find people who are willing to let me. And there you go. You've you've given um, anyone out there who hasn't heard it, Hill Climb TV. That's it, yeah. yeah, If you've not heard of it before, I haven't. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it's definitely worth having a look, yeah. Brilliant. So let's 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 find out quick snippets and a little bit about your taste in terms of cars. So, uh, what do you drive at the moment? Uh, I've got uh, two vehicles at the moment. Uh, I've got an Alfa Romeo GT, uh, which is very temperamental and currently off the road um, <laughs> because of that. And then I've got a, a Ford Transit Connect van, yeah. um, which has had a little bit of tweaking and uh, modification on it uh, uh, to make it a bit more fun. So, okay cool yeah cool cool not something you race around the track in or no i did ask whether i could take it up the hill climb they weren't so uh impressed <laughs> by that it is how it's a red van and i keep uh keep threatening to uh to paint it uh with like a gold yeah. top which is the alan man racing colors of like the escorts and things from the british touring car championship okay uh, so i keep thinking i might do a, a touring car replica on my van we'll see that'll be amazing well done cool okay let's kind of gravitated towards btcc give us a flavor then of of who are your heroes again no influence on what we're talking about today or what's in the book you know who um you talked about a couple of the drivers that you you started off seeing at your first meet your heroes your favorite drivers favorite cars yeah so um as i said i was a bmw fan from from when i first saw them pushed out onto the track and they just look brilliant in that particular uh you know sort of the white paint scheme with the mm. checkered flag over the back and it was quite iconic, sort of 90s BMW look. Um, and then their drivers, Steve Soper, Joe Winklehock, I particularly followed them over the 90s as they sort of went off and uh, other series or retired or whatever. Uh, I sort of always kept up with BMW when they were in the series. But then when they weren't in the series, I'd have to you know, hunt around for what I sort of fancied. Luckily, over the last few years, BMW have been quite regular uh, with West Surrey Racing and yeah. Colin Turkington, I think is sort of my favourite of the current crop. Cool. Um, yeah. He's a yeah really accomplished driver, quite clean racer and that sort of yeah. thing. Uh, I admire what he does an awful lot. Um, so yeah, I, that's always been. Uh, but there are so many amazing drivers in the championship, sort of now and in the past. Yeah. Um, I don't really do the whole partisan. Or I don't like him, but I do no. like. Him. I, I'm I, quite I, happy to just you know when Ash Sutton. As such a young guy has achieved so much and i, I think know. i'm not a fan but i'm a huge amount you know you admire it, what yeah. he's done is amazing so it's yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I'd quite like a new champion this year. I mean, we're recording it before the final round of the um, 22 season. Um, I think it would be great if like Tom Ingram could win or something. Just, you know, mix it up a bit. Yeah, it's just a nice, yeah. for the yeah. story. I mean, I, I'd love it. Colin Turkington got another, but, you know. It's, it was such a shame he had such a, you know, killer of a, a weekend just gone, really. That's it, Silverstone completely... from leading the championship to third or fourth in it. Or yeah, something. it's 20, 27 yeah. points behind now, I think, which, I mean, in the turn of three races, it just shows, you know, what kind of weekend he had. And it just shows the nature of BTCC and yeah. the fact that anything can happen. And this this is why I love it, yeah, really. So um, so let's, let's kind of discuss what we're here for then. The immortal question that I, when I sat down and mapped out the episodes I wanted to do, this was near the top of the list is just discussing who is the the greatest btcc driver of all time yeah you know, who could be considered now there's a lot that we're going to probably unpack in this because you can have your everyone's got their opinion on this everyone's got different ways of looking at it because there's so much when i sat down i was like you can have your favorites firstly the ones that you love to see up there then you look at the history championship wins race wins winter start ratio what's i'll ask you first and when you consider who trying to answer this question what would you be looking at out of all those kind of factors it's really tough and whenever you look at like trying to work out the greatest of anything i suppose you you've got to almost define what greatest means Mm. uh which is what you're sort of alluding to there uh because if it's outright wins well that's easy to to work out but that doesn't necessarily mean the greatest uh driver because you know, think nowadays you get 30 races in a season mm. back in the 80s or 70s there might be 10 12 yeah i think the short the smallest season was something like eight races right. so it's not really fair to compare necessarily no. and so it's really hard to to you know try and work out where you're actually looking for i mean most entertaining would be quite good i mean i don't know how you'd uh quantify that necessarily but you it's know that's subjective that isn't it but i think i think a lot of people would have the same names on the list if you were to go down that that route yeah. for sure yeah yeah so i think it's it's a it is a really tough question to to really answer so you know i've got i've got a few ways like you said a few sort of ideas of how we might look at it and then you've probably got a few and then who knows um, you know i've got the only way again limited knowledge that i've got i kind of i looked at just what i um i, I pointed out there looking at okay championship you know championship wins it's 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 a quantifiable thing that you can look at there there's you know there's two front runners correct me if i'm wrong that have won it four times which is the most um that's it Col- yeah colin turkington andy rouse race wins again easy to do um jp yeah, if I you know, and I I put the figures I've got that I kind of looked at before. These are a few weeks old, but I don't think in that respect the top ten haven't really changed because the only ones that are in there that are still running are Colin Turkerton and Gordon Shedden, and they've not really, to my knowledge anyway, they've not added to those in the last few weeks. Um, the interesting one though I was looking at was winter wins to race ratio. Actually, yeah. Now I don't know where you've got your numbers from. I've I've done some maths myself, so mm. uh, we'll see whether we. Um, That's whether fine. We... I will say that my figures yeah. come from InsideBTCC.com. Okay, so. fair enough. I, I just did some basic sort of starts to win sort of numbers and, and that's, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and again, knowing your head, I'm I I I would uh, I'd be intrigued. Well, it also it depends. I don't know what Inside BTCC. I don't know how far back they go. Whether they can't count. Yeah. 
to be um, fair, no, what I. sort of wins they count because it should be said that uh, up until 1980 um well i suppose not up until about 1990 there were more than one class racing yes uh, yeah. and then you had independence through the 90s and then you had two classes in the early 2000s and it's only really sort of in the NGTC period, maybe the S2000 period a bit, where you've only had that single class mm. really of, of race winner. Yeah. Um, so do you count the class wins? I haven't done. I've counted outright wins. That's but, fine. And that's one you know, thing when I've been going back into like my, my journey through the 80s, it's one thing that I, I struggled with, I will say, in that somebody could win the championship outright, but they had finished you know, middle of the middle of the grid, really, because they happen to win their class, but not on, you know, over on the race itself. I'm not used to that. I no, it, it, it it's a bit odd. I mean, I'll, I'll throw a name in here. Bill McGovern, okay. back in the 70s, Bill McGovern won three titles in uh, Hillman Imp, uh, which was prepared by a chap called George Bevan. Uh, Bill McGovern only ever won one race outright. Right. And that was when the classes, they had a split. They had a big cars race and a small cars race. And so in the smaller classes, he managed to win. He, however, I think one year, he won pretty much every single round in his class uh, on his way to you know, three titles. So, yeah. um, you know, one win, three titles doesn't really add up. No. But that's because of the, the, the class system that they, they had. Yeah, back. yeah. So it's, it's a tough one, really. I, I will say out of the years that I've gone back on, you know, I will be a bit biased. The one season that I did quite enjoy to see that with John Cleland, because I'm a bit of a Vauxhall nut having, you know, grown up with Vauxhalls galore. So I thought the fact that he won it in an Astra when the yeah. track was dominated by Cosworths, it's, it's a great thing to do, but yeah, still, still wasn't odd. Look yeah. at this. this I, I, this is where I probably wouldn't trust the figures I've got on this one, like, like winter race ratio, because you're looking at, I don't quite know. You 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 change this to list by highest percentage, and you've got guys on there again that have raced once, won once, so they got one hundred percent. You know, you can't. Yeah, I, I haven't really. I didn't really go for those. I thought you know that sort of thing doesn't doesn't really count as a um, uh, the greatest if you turn up once no. and just happen to <laughs> you know they had some shared drives in the late eighties. You'll probably have seen on your DVDs that like the. Uh, Cosworths, they would do a long race every year, quite often mm. at Donington Park, and it was two drivers. Yes. So a lot of those guest drivers mm. turned up once, won, never raced again, and so yeah, yeah, it doesn't really count. No. The the absolute top from somebody who's done a you know did a whole championship season, I think is uh, Tommy Sopwith. In the yeah. first year of the championship, nineteen fifty eight, uh, he won all but one of the rounds he retired from one race so he won eight races that year um and so he only raced that one season yeah. so his win rate is 88.9 percent okay so he did a whole year he won every race in his uh, jaguar saloon mark ii saloon yeah um he missed out on the championship and this is possibly a whole episode on its own to jack sears who was in a lower class, who'd done pretty much the same thing, but in right. the lower class. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at the end of the year, they came to Bransatch on equal points. So the only way they could think to uh, settle this was they were given identical cars and they had a two-car shootout, basically. Okay. So they, they did a five-lap race, swapped cars, did another five laps, mm. 
Uh, and out of those, uh, Jack Sears came ahead, I think, like two seconds on uh -huh. aggregate time ahead. And so he took the title. So uh -huh. Tommy Sopwith, almost championship contender, you know, almost 90% win ratio. Yeah. Only ever did one series, you know, season. But yeah, so. Is it, is it the, 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 the class system? This is really going to scupper, you know, the ability, <laughs> I think, to answer this question properly, because so much of its history was spent with that um so i mean if you were to look when was it was it 1990 1991 was it beyond yeah kind um, of narrowed it down about there somewhere yeah 1991 i can't remember off the top of my, i think it was 91 they brought in the two liter class across the board mm. but you still have the independence so mm. uh you know matt neil was an independent back then he won a few rounds i'm not sure if they count towards his overall tally to be honest uh, okay uh, and he's right up there in numbers. He's 63, I think it is, um, wins, mm. which is yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I think he's unlikely to, to return to the series now. He was. It's a shame. Was, that, yeah. I, I, I missed it for a few years when my kids were born and I just I couldn't keep up with it at all. And he was I stopped watching it at the height, really, of, you know, Shedden had won his first couple. Neil was still there. The rivalry with Plato was still there. You had Andrew yeah. Jordan coming through and. And then I came back and I was like, looking at JP's season, this season, for me, compared to what I've seen before, it's, it's lacking in something. And it's almost like he's got nobody there that's, that's to fight <laughs> against. You know, you really did enjoy what him and Matt Neal, no matter where they were on, you know, um, in yeah. the lineup, what they were going to do with each other. And, um, and, and they, were both, that. they were both in the series for so long. I mean, Neil did mm. 30 years racing in the championship uh jason plato was in it for 23 years because he sort of came and went a few yeah. times so they were there for you know over a huge period all those different rule sets all that sort of thing and it was that sort of constant you had yeah. some guys that you always sort of um so he, i think he'll be missed and it's yeah. such a shame he's not not likely to get those wins to get him up to 100 um talk, well, that... talking of greatest maybe we should mention here jason plato 97 victories yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't yeah. argue to be honest he's got to be in your conversation of greatest absolutely and to be honest as a bit of a again I, yeah but i'm a i'm a voxel you know nut i suppose but driver wise jp is my is certainly my my main hero in btcc so i'll always say like you were saying at the beginning most entertaining i think he he did it all really for me you know he was there he was trying to win races i know there's guys out there it depends how you look at it do you like the guys who play the game and they know you know, play the percentage game as it were they know what they need to do to get to the top and be consistent or do you have someone like jp who is just out there to win every single time sometimes it goes wrong yeah and gotta say i mean although he's only got two championships i think he's come runner up like five times he's um, been in the top three i think like seven times or something yeah um the amount of years he would come into the final weekend with a chance of the championship mm. and it wouldn't always go his way. And, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But he was always, like you say, always fighting, always pushing. Yeah. And possibly to the point where he's lost the title several times by pushing too far. And he should it. have played the percentages earlier in the season or something. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, at the start, I, I don't, I'm not a partisan person. JP's never been one of my particular mm. favourites. Um, but I've always been impressed with what he did. I mean, he turned up his first race weekend in the Renault Lagunas back in the 90s, yeah. stuck it on pole. I think he won 
maybe not that weekend, but you know, it wasn't long and yeah. instantly made a, an impression. And yeah, I suppose those Lagunas were the best car on the track probably at the time. Yeah. But it still start, but... takes the, the skill to go out and do it. And yeah. in the super touring, the Astras, uh, all the way through like the Chevrolets, all that sort of thing. He was always pushing, always there, yeah. um, making the most of it. And um, it's only the last few years he's, I don't know, maybe it's age, maybe it's yeah. other issues. I don't know, but, you know, it's probably, yeah, maybe it's the right time for him to go. Maybe. I it's... so wished he'd got to 100. You know, maybe he'll stick around until he gets there. I don't know. I was going to say, is that just going to be the one thing that he does keep pushing for? But, you know, the longer it goes on, is it going to happen? It's got to be a, a, a bit of pill to swallow that you're, you're so close. And, I mean, who are the front runners behind him on that front, according to my figures anyway? Next one behind him is Matt Neal, 63. Turkey team's the way same, way. I believe, 63. It? Yeah, it is quite a sizable gap there. I mean, obviously, Matt Neal's not going to increase on that. It depends if Turkington's around long enough to mount a, a yeah. charge on that. But, you know, he's he's sort of, he's at least put his name in the history books for that. And certainly yeah. a serious contender for, for this. I, I personally think the only one at the moment of current drivers who could rival Plato, I think, is probably Ash Sutton, mm. who has enough years ahead of him if he stays in the series yeah. to get to that theoretically, I mean, with 30 races a year, mm. you could knock off a hundred in four years. Couldn't you? Yeah. Sort of, you know, Easy. it's unlikely, but it's possible. You know, it's possible. Yeah. So yeah. I think Turkington, he's obviously got a few more in him as long as he stays in the series again. Mm. Uh, but that's another 40 wins he needs to find. Yeah. That is a tall order. I think um, yeah. when he's towards the end of his career rather than at the start. Yeah. So, um, I think Jason will be history books for a good while on that, yeah. um, even if he doesn't make the 100. Yeah. So I think if we're looking at, say, you know, shortlisting here to try and answer, I, I don't for the second believe we're actually going to, you know, we're going <laughs> to find the magic formula by the end of this episode. But if we're talking about a shortlist, I think Jason Plato absolutely has to be up there um, for his wins alone. I think that's, that's definitely a you know, contender as a, yeah. a, a reason to be there. Um, and I think, as you mentioned before, the, the, the championship wins, I think, would be the next part where you yeah. have to look for your next sort of shortlisters. Yeah. So we're looking at the moment then. Obviously, Colin Turkington is joint top anyway. Um, every chance he could have done it this year, he's left himself a very, very big hill to climb. May not do it this year. But if Ash Sutton wins, obviously he ties. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I personally think, I mean, Ash Sutton's got the possibility to do it this year. Uh, he's with Ford for a few years, I think, yeah. in that Napa team. Um, theoretically, they can only get better sort of thing. You know, mm. maybe he could do another couple. He could break that four, because um, at the moment it's only Turkington and Rouse um, who yeah. manage it, so... Yeah, so there's every chance that we will see a five-time champion between one of them, you know, in the next, you know, couple of years, three years, whatever. So obviously, you know, that would put that that makes it quite exciting. That means there is a current driver there that could actually again break that record and, and be yeah. and be up there and be a contender already. Let's let's talk about Andy Rouse for a second because I again through the footage, the time that I've gone through, he was pretty dominant. Um I would say, you know, is is another guy that I've loved to watch. It's another nearly guy, four titles, yeah, but the the, the years as well that he just missed out because of a few. Yeah, I mean, he missed races. out. He missed out on quite a lot of championships because he was in the top class, and the way it used to work was the top guys would fight out for wins, 
whilst one guy low down, like John Clennon in the Vauxhall, mm. would dominate and take the title. Yeah. Uh, and so because it was more competitive in the top class, Andy Rouse probably could have picked up another couple in the mm. 80s. Um, he himself benefited, you know, his some of his titles were from lower classes as well. So it's not all yeah, sort of yeah, against yeah. him on that. No, but no. Um, what I find really impressive about Andy Rouse, he, he raced in, uh, I don't know, maybe five or six different um, rule sets. So the, the types of car that were racing, he, he went through loads of different rule sets and was still always competitive. Mm. He would turn up certainly in the second half of his career with cars he had built and designed and developed himself and be better than the works teams or would be dominant. And that, you know, as an engineer, he was an amazing guy as well. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, his, uh, his win ratio, because again, back in the seventies, eighties, there were a lot less races. Yeah. So uh, Andy Rouse's win ratio, I've got about 25%. Uh, so he got 60 wins for about 230 starts. So about a quarter of all the races he entered, he won. Yeah. Uh, which compared to Turkington, who's on about 12% uh, yeah. for the same number of titles yeah. uh, and roughly the same number of wins. Yeah. So you could just see, you know, Rouse was a lot more efficient. And if, even, you know, if you look at Plato, according to, again, my figures as well, Plato with the most race wins is just under 15%. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I've got to say, I mean, if Rouse had been starting his career in the 90s rather than ending, yeah, and he had 30 years of racing in double headers and triple header meet, meetings, he may well have been well up well, on yeah. the, but yeah, obviously, that's ifs and buts are impossible yeah. to work on. <laughs> yeah. But I think Rouse, certainly for a good chunk of time, was the benchmark for everyone else, mm. um, even if he wasn't always the best driver on track. Yeah. Uh, if you sort of you could measure how well you were doing compared to where Andy was on the circuit sort of thing. So he's another one we got a pin up there, really. So, yeah. you know, we've got if we, if we say so four so far, so Turkington, Sutton, you know, again, really good that we've got a couple of guys that are still out there racing, got years ahead of them that, you know, to, to break more records. Jason Plato, Andy Rouse. Any any other front runners that, that you know, your knowledge sprung to mind that, that should be considered for... Any yeah, I mean, uh, again, you'd probably look at the the multiple champions. Um, so there are several, several guys who've got like three championships. Um, Bill McGovern, that I mentioned earlier, who did mm-hmm. it in the end. I probably would discount him, not because he wasn't a good driver, but it was in a very particular time in that class, in that car, in that period. Yeah. When he changed car later in his career, he never had the success that he had earlier, and. Yeah. You sort of think it was it was he was right place, right time. So I wouldn't necessarily put him as the all time great. However, you've got people like uh Wynn Percy. He had similar to Rouse, he has uh three championships, some of them in lower classes than yeah. the top ones. So he's only got ten wins to his name. But um he had a long career over various different formula, you know, different rule sets, different types of cars, that sort of thing. So I think he he certainly was a good driver. Um, you've got people like Frank Gardner. Now, Frank Gardner probably should be a proper consideration. Okay. He, again, has three titles, um, 35 race wins, so a decent number, uh, and a 42% win rate, Okay, uh, almost 43%. So a really sort of high win rate. Yeah, And his titles, again, came in a whole variety of cars, sometimes in the big, like Chevrolet Camaros and that sort of thing. Yeah, So he... 
he really proved himself and outside of touring cars he was racing in sports cars he did some formula one stuff he did all sorts so he was definitely a bona fide driver sort of thing um and was for a good you know i don't know 10 years or something 15 years was like andy rouse was a few years later frank gardner was the benchmark was like the top guy so i certainly think he he would be considered however i think maybe because they did less races back then his wind tally's not up there you know you start to sort of then have to look for other things to to discount people with don't you yeah yeah i one thing i was thinking as well is you just sort of reminded me of there by talking about drivers who 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 run in say different classes or even a, a, a range of different vehicles I'm not going to say the reliance on one type of vehicle, but the guys who have much of their success in, in one sort of vehicle. Do you think that that is a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I don't know. I suppose sometimes you just click with a particular um, style. Like I think some of Jason Plato struggled with the Subarus and things because mm. they were rear drive and he'd got so used to front drive. Yeah. So maybe there was something in, in that. Um, I think back to Alan Menu, who I think he was the most successful in the super touring period in the terms of wins, yeah. uh, both in the Renault and then in the Mondeo later on, two titles. Yeah, yeah, it was always up there. Again, he had he was second in the championship, I think, like three times in a row or something, and then yeah. won it. So, you yeah, know, he was definitely up there. But then he disappeared after that, came back for a brief period, which was rather you know and exciting and not very successful and so you do sort of think well okay in that period menu was brilliant yeah but do you count him as one of the all-time greats of the series is he the greatest ever Mm. it's hard to judge because he only had a sort of a short period of uh participation a short period of sort of um uh success i don't know Whereas people like JP or uh, Colin Turkett, even they've they've been there over different types of rules and always being competitive. And yeah. Andy Rouse, who could come back in any car and win pretty much, yeah. you know, uh, it it proves that there's something a little bit more, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, and I, I um again going back to Andy Rouse, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bang on too much about him. I just I just thought his run was fantastic in that he along with Gordon Spice dominated in the Capris and then he kind of took over the, the the car I absolutely love and this is this is a whole other topic we can get into at a later date is you know the different types of car one of my favorite cars was was the Rover oh yeah SD1 yeah and it became a bit like I, I find it is the, it's the one that's sandwiched between the success and the domination of the Fords when you had the Capris and the Cosworths something happened in the middle with these Rovers and all of a sudden, a bit like the Cosworths, the grid was full of them. Um, but again, when you've got what happens, do you think, with the competition when the grid is dominated by a particular car? I, I was sat on the fence with this. I was like, yeah, it's quite good competition because it comes down to the driving, I suppose, and the setup of them. But is it just a little bit too kind of congested and not enough variety? I personally prefer a bit of variety. Mm. Um so long as all the cars are of a relative pace uh it's there's nothing worse when i think 
back in the early 2000s, you had the Voxels who were on another level compared to the Peugeots and things like that. Mm. And so the competition there was only amongst the Voxels, really. Yeah. You know, eventually things like AMGs and then the Hondas eventually came. But for a couple of years, it was all about the Voxels. Mm. Um, and so you don't have that variety, like you said, that we do now or in yeah. the sort of mid-90s. Um, but at the same time, the the Cosworth period, because everybody had a Cosworth. It did yeah. come down to, and half of them were built by Andy Rouse, you know, yeah. came down to how good you were at, you know, driving, driving. that particular car. Mm. So I think it has sort of pros and cons both ways. Um, I personally prefer a bit of variety. because I think, again, if you can make your car win in every situation, mm. uh, I think that shows you're a better driver and have a better team. Yeah. Um, I mean, like one day the cars are underneath they're all very similar and yeah. so the the differences aren't like they used to be yeah. um you used to get some circuits that really favored one manufacturer over another i, I think find that, that really interesting actually yeah, yeah that's that has lessened now i think yeah. uh, i think they're, they're they're a lot more similar so if you're good one place you're probably going to be all right everywhere sort of thing yeah yeah i um I have a great question come to me then. Um, <laughs> so we're talking, obviously, we're trying to, I'm very unsuccessfully trying to kind of narrow this down to who the greatest driver is. It's, it, as it's going forward, I've got to get your opinion on this, the hybrid, as opposed to, you know, the, the, the ballast and the rules we've had before. What do you think this is going to do to the competition between the drivers? Does, is it affecting anything? Is it still down to the driving or is there more technology involved now? Uh, I think it's, I mean, apart from like Turkington had issues with the hybrid, yeah. which then pretty much knocked out his whole weekend. It's a shame that the hybrid can affect it that well mm. or that much, whereas the ballast system wouldn't have done. No. I wasn't a big fan of ballast. I, I, I prefer like, the racing a bit more pure in a sense yeah. having the the weight to uh, you know mix it up a bit i uh, never hugely liked but it was mostly successful so yeah i sort of let it you know i don't complain about it too much yeah um the hybrid i think they'll tweak uh over the next few seasons and we'll see which direction things go they'll find better ways of running it better ways that it can be implemented yeah um the idea is fair enough i suppose yeah. um but it'd be nice. Yeah, I think, yeah, they probably will think about it and try and rework it. A little it's something bit. they can tweak, I suppose, isn't it? It's, you know, yeah. technology is what it is. I think it's probably been accepted. I liken it to when um, VAR came into football. You know, on paper, it was a great thing to have. The fans did nothing but bitch about it when things were going wrong. Um, it's probably one of those. It's early days, isn't it? It's just, it, yeah. it's just one of those things I thought, yeah, you know, at, at what point do we sacrifice the talent of the drivers themselves? Um, because I heard Nigel Mansell say it when he compared F1 cars when he was driving to now, he said you can drive them with one finger, and you know you had to be built like pretty decently to to control a Formula One car back in his day. You know that's another have we lost an element of the driving now when we give it over to you know technological advances? Possibly a bit. I mean, throughout history of like motorsport, things change so often that it's hard to sort of look. Although Mansell's right, it was very physical driving back in his day. Mm. Drivers nowadays are so much fitter mm. that they're probably still working quite hard. They just don't 
look it because okay. they're, they're able to cope a lot better <laughs> than the, you know think back yeah. to the 70s when james hunt was smoking and drinking between races That's so true. Yeah, he yeah. obviously looked awful after a race because he could barely make it <laughs> you know in a similar car you know a modern driver probably wouldn't have anywhere near the problems because they're so much fitter it's so hard to sort of judge um yeah. but i think you, there's always change complaining about it and sort of going oh it was better in my day is a little bit pointless in a sense because yeah. it has changed so yeah. it's best i think to accept it and enjoy it for what it is yeah and you know alan gow tocker aren't stupid if hybrid is not producing good racing they will change the rules they will find yeah. a way to make it good it might take them a few seasons it might mean that hybrid isn't the same in a few years it is now or whatever no. it, it always changes and i you know, i i personally i would prefer without all the wings and aero i'd prefer it to go back to more like the early 90s when it was production style cars yeah. no, uh, but that's my preference not i'm not saying it would necessarily be better I, it's just what i like I'm, I'm with you there the one thing i've said this before the one thing that drew me to to touring cars was the fact that they were cars that i saw out and about they were cars my dad you know drove and stuff like that i could relate to them I've never got on with Formula One because to me, I can't relate to those things. They are purpose-built racing cars. A lot like BTCC ones are today, yeah. I know, but they still kind of resemble ones that you, you know, that you see around and you could see yourself driving. Maybe I think that was it really when you were a kid, isn't it? Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, no, I completely agree, but it's, it is what it is. It moves yeah. on, it changes. And uh, the great thing about British touring cars is, Every single rule set has produced brilliant championships and great rivalries and amazing races. And mm. even like, people now complain about the early 2000s, the Vauxhalls. Mm. You go back and watch those DVDs or whatever of those races, and there's some great racing. Yeah. And, you know, Plato and Muller and, you know, all of that lot, it's uh, just as good as what we've got now. Yeah. It's just, you know, things change. Different, yeah. isn't it? And, so. and this brings us quite nicely full circle, if I'm honest, because the reason why I think it is statistically, you could answer this question, but I think when you delve into it, like we have tried to, you can't answer this question because of even in its, you know, relatively short, I would say 60 odd year history, BTCC has changed so much, you know, regulations, technology, everything is, is there's so many factors involved. I think it's very difficult to say, we have found the one who is statistically, scientifically, whatever, the greatest touring car driver. No, I agree. I mean, I was going to sort of say at some point that I think, to be honest, it, it, you can't answer necessarily unless you do uh, define what greatest would be. Yeah. And then you can, it, it, otherwise, it's too wide. I mean, I was going to sort of throw a bit of a spanner in the works and Go say on. possibly the greatest touring car driver ever would be someone like Jim Clark who won the championship, won lots of races, both in lower classes and sort of outright, mm. um, only won one championship, but also won Indianapolis, also won, you know, all those Formula One races all yeah. at the same time. Right. Um, so uh, not in his championship year, I think the following year, yeah. he won Indianapolis, he went to Canada, and did a sports car race, and then he flew to London to race at Crystal Palace in a Lotus Cortina <laughs> in about a five-day period. Wow. Now, can you see, you know, any of the current Formula One crop, like no. getting out of their Formula One car and then being in 
you know, the sort of uh, Honda at Silverstone for touring no. cars the next week. You know, this again brings me back to probably the same Mansell interview actually that I saw in that he compared the two and you can see he's not a very big fan. He didn't have a, a, a great stint in, in uh, the BTCC, but he simply couldn't. I don't think he really could go from one to the other. So to have a guy like that who could go to all those different types yeah. of competition and succeed, maybe. Yeah, I mean, back then, I, I guess it maybe the cars, Formula One to touring cars, weren't maybe as dissimilar as they are now, perhaps, because uh, you had Jack Brabham, you had Graham Hill, you had quite a few of the F1 guys doing touring cars as well. Mm. Um, but if you look in more recent times, the number of Formula One drivers who've tried touring cars and failed horribly. Mm. Um, in fact, I don't think um, all of the successful Formula One drivers struggled in touring cars. And the ones who struggled in Formula One, people like Gabrielli Tarquini, would turn up and, and win. Yeah. So maybe there's a, you know, <laughs> not succeeding in F1 and winning in the touring cars. Maybe yeah. there's a, a link there. Oh, I don't okay. know. But you, you've got people... Uh, you have all sorts of like people, refugees from Formula One who would turn up. Mm. Most recent, I think, was Johnny Herbert in the oh, yeah. uh, mid two thousands. Did a few races for Team Dynamics in the Hondas, mm. and he struggled. And yeah. you know, he was a good driver, um, Grand Prix winner, but yeah, you know, couldn't cope round Rockingham. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's different territory. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, is. that's all it is. I was I was just quite surprised. I think it was one of those. Um, was like the, the, the almost like the endurance races i think that you touched on earlier that they used to have at donington or whatever damon hill yeah did yeah they, i didn't yeah completely i was like did i hear that right did yeah you, david coulthard did a race he did yeah. in a voxel um that he said was the worst car he's ever driven <laughs> i think yeah uh so yeah and, and i mean those those um endurance races used to get all sorts of second drivers so you've yeah. got sort of like I think Stig Blomfist was in in one time, you know, rally yeah. drivers and all sorts. And, it, yeah, it's just, a, you know, yeah. it, 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 quite an interesting thing to do again now, but I'm not sure how it would, uh, I don't know. How, I, you'd, how you'd achieve that sort of thing. I think by worry, I saw a few of them. And I think the, the worry I had is that, yeah, someone can pace that at the front and then they hand over to someone else. What happens if that lead goes? It happened with Rob Gravett. Yeah. I can't think who he had with him, but he was there and he was Gravit did the first half, handed it over, he had the lead until the last bend and he lost it. And that might actually be a Steve Blomfist, actually. It might that, yeah. Or yeah. yeah, well, I think it was a rally driver. No, yeah, I think lost it was. the race yeah, on the last you're corner. Right. Yeah. You're right. And it's like, you know, Gravit thought he was aiming dry, and then all of a sudden I think it was Andy Rouse possibly yeah. who took that. Yeah. And um anyway, okay. So we could sit here and we could do this for, for hours. You know, it's been fantastic kind of just trying to rip it apart and see if we can, you know, dig under the, the layers here. But <clears throat> gun to your head, who would you pick? As the greatest touring car driver yeah, It ever. doesn't have to be based on anything statistical or anything like that, but who who in your mind encompasses it for you? Uh, I, I, I think I'd have to go. I can't. I just cannot. Um, I, possibly if I broke it down into different periods, you could pick the best of each period. Okay. Um, but and, this, and this is the problem coming from the man who exactly, is this, yeah. I think, as opposed to me. Yeah. Who, by the time I finish this, I may well have a different, <laughs> a different mindset. But. but yeah, I mean, at one point, I would definitely have said Andy Rouse. Mm. Then, you know, more recently, you've got Plato and Turkington who have uh, 
mess with that. You've got Ash Sutton, who I think yeah. will probably end up being the greatest when he's done, yeah. you know, given you know, a fair run of it. But then you've got people who didn't necessarily make a big mark in British touring cars, but did in elsewhere. So you've mm-hmm. got people like Roberto Ravaglia, who only ever raced in British series for one year and didn't really do anything. He's won eight other titles in other touring car championships. Yeah. Yeah. And you sort of think, well, he must be good. But so I just couldn't couldn't sort of um <laughs> i was i was interested to see after all of your uh, all your knowledge and everything all of your research <laughs> whether whether someone sprung out i mean for me again limited as as knowledge as i have i think jason plato would always be those my favorite but i think from what i have delved into over the last few months andy rouse i think is is probably up there for me as is probably having more of a claim to you know as a as an all-rounder um, you know, number of race, race wins aside, I think he, you know, championship wins and, and what he did out there. And the fact that, again, he could get behind the wheel of, of, of a few cars and he was always at the front. I think the, the titles that he lost were on this class system thing and it was the competition they had in that main class, which was the, the turning point. Um, but there we go. That's that's mine. Again, give me a... Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think Andy Rouse probably would be able to would definitely be in the final yeah. like few when you were trying to work it out. Yeah. I just don't think I could uh I the best way we really. could do it, gather them all together, stick them on the track. Yeah. If you hot laps and then see who comes out. There you go. I don't think that's never going to happen, but no. that would be a lovely <laughs> idea. Lovely idea. Listen, Alex, this has been fantastic, mate. I really, really enjoyed this. But before I, I wrap it up, <clears throat> um I'll give you a little bit of time just kind of introduce your your YouTube channel, because we discussed before we started recording that I've um, I, I've, I've watched a couple of episodes myself um, over the last couple of days and absolutely love Motorsport Detective. Tell us more about it, what it is, um, for where we can find it, what it is you do, really, because I think it's intriguing. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, yeah, it's the Motorsport Detective, Alex Burnham, the Motorsport Detective. Uh, there's YouTube, there's then the social media, sort of Facebook, uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram pages, which all then link back to the the youtube channel really um and basically what i have been doing is uh i find some film like some old cine film eight millimeter cine film or home shop uh, amateur footage maybe a photograph or something like that uh, and i look into that and think well what's the story behind this uh so i will then try and work out what race meeting it was who's in the film uh what cars uh, what track uh, and then usually when you start digging, there is a story there. So, you know, you start with just uh, a f- bit of film about some race cars. And by the end, you've you've learnt uh, something. So I've got stuff about, you know, races from the 60s, from tracks I've never heard of. We were talking about Lake Garnet yeah. in America, uh, a track that raced for a little while in the 60s. I happened to find some footage of it. And, um, yeah, it's amazing sort of eventually discovered about that. Or uh, I found, you know, footage of, Grand Prix meetings or touring car races and a bit of digging, you can find out some amazing yeah. stuff. So it's sort of delve into the history of motorsport through, through these things I've uh, discovered. I've got a little archive of footage and uh, photographs and, uh, and a few, you know, memorabilia sort of bits and pieces and all of it has a, has a story. Hmm. So I sort of use my, uh, my best detective uh, skills to try and work out, what it is and find out a bit more about it. So it'd be great if anybody uh, wants to, you know, discover a bit of uh, motorsport history. Um, 
come and join me on the motorsport detective um i'll do that i'll have it yeah, yeah. that would be brilliant yeah follow a link or, yeah. or just search in you know any of those and come along and find out a bit of um a bit of interesting it's always a bit fun you know it's not mm. not too serious but it's just a bit of uh, interesting it's, stuff it's very very cool and i, I mean it begs a question which which came first so the idea of doing this and then you you gathered all this or did, is it stuff you you had already that you decided to delve into uh, the photos, I've always like, been a keen photographer, so I always took photos and you know, I've got quite a lot of pictures from you know racing meetings I've been mm. to and then other people would give me photos and I'd pick photos up. and you know, So that was there. And then I was given a uh, an 8mm uh, cine projector for a Christmas present one time by my oh. brother. And I thought, oh, what on earth am I going to do with that? <laughs> uh, and so I found, uh, I bought uh, a little 8mm footage um, of uh, Sterling Moss driving around Brands Hatch. And I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll look for motorsport films. Oh. And it's just gone from there. So I've now got a, you know, boxes full of um, cine footage from all sorts of places, uh, you know, all over the world um, that I've just picked up where I found them, where I've seen them. You know, some people have sort of, you know, one lady said, oh, you know, I, I don't want this. This is with my husband. You can have these sort of thing. You know, it just, uh, and, you know, I watch it and I think, oh, that's brilliant. You know, so. Yeah. So I decided I'll do something with that. And I thought other people might enjoy discovering along with me. So rather than me just tell what it is on this footage, mm. uh, I play the footage and then uh, sort of try and bring people along as I discover what it is as well. Mm. Uh, so it's a bit sort of um, investigative. You know, I think sometimes people are probably well ahead of me because they've recognised things <laughs> I'm, I'm hey, missing Dave, or whatever. It's all so. of fun though. Isn't it? I mean, they're, they're quite digestible episodes as well. You know, um, you know, sort of like, you know, 10, 10 minutes or something. Yeah. It's, I kept everything well. under 10 minutes. The ones that went over, I sort of split into episodes. Okay. Um, so when there's a lot of information, I've, I had one film uh, that was sports car racing. And when I actually watched it, I realised it's actually footage from three different meetings oh wow so okay. i split the footage up i found out which bit you know it was all jumbled up so i mixed it into the proper races and then each one of those gets its own episode so it's sort of um you know you can see me trying to figure out what track things are on and you know then what car it is and then what yeah. championship it might be and who was doing it and who won and so you know you start with just a, a bit of a mystery and you end up with um all sorts of fun stories it's yeah, like i wouldn't entertainment. I, I wouldn't like to imagine how much time and effort goes behind one of those episodes and you're representing it in, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. And, uh, all, you know, all respect to you for that. I, I, I'd like to say I'm, I'm going to delve in and I'm going to go through whatever, you know, all the rest. Yeah. Of the I mean, a, a great one to, to watch is uh, there's um, a bit of footage which shows an Austin Metropolitan or a Nash Metropolitan racing. Um and as far as I'm aware, this is the only footage in existence of one of those cars racing in period because oh, wow. they just weren't raced. Okay. Um, and it took me a good you know, years of searching to eventually track down the race meeting and the driver and all the rest of it. Wow, okay. um, but they're brilliantly in the last few years, there's a team who have built a heritage for like places like Goodwood and National Metropolitan to race in the Goodwood Revival. So I went along and I chatted to them and I met them and they were, you know, it was brilliant because they they never thought that there was an, you know, anybody had raced. They decided to race the Metropolitan because it was the most ridiculous car they could think of. <laughs> and then, you know, they discovered that somebody actually has. So, yeah, Fantastic. that was good. Oh, brilliant, mate. No, there we go. Everyone, go and check out Motorsport Detective and also going back Hill Climb TV as well. So if you take nothing else away from this episode, 
the fact that you are going to argue with us who you think is the greatest BTCC driver. You've got options out there to go and see what Alex does, as well as if you can track them down like I did, go and get yourself one of these. This is going to keep me busy for a long time. Like I say, this is probably going to be my Bible as I go along. Um, you know, now that the season's coming to a close, I need some material. We've discussed the the um, possibility of you coming on, you know. On I'd like to come back basis. and chat on other things. Absolutely. There is so much that we can, we can, so many rabbit holes we can go down. So yeah, absolutely. Alex, thank you very much. Until the next time, mate, this has been. No, thank amazing. you, Chris. No worries.